I'm going to take a look at the Word of God today. We've been, um, last couple weeks in this new series with, with Winnie the Pooh, uh, one of the lesser known biblical characters, um, asking ourselves, is there such a thing as, as too much of a good thing? And I've been highlighting this verse, which is the inspiration for our Winnie the Pooh graphic. Proverbs 25, verse 16 says, do you like honey? And I think most of us would say, well, yes, please. Somebody left a honey bear on my pulpit just moments ago. I don't know who did this, but I'm going to drink the whole bottle right now, you know, to demonstrate that what the verse says, don't eat too much or it will make you sick, right? Uh, Maybe not. Maybe I'll avoid that. Uh, do you like honey? Don't eat too much or it will make you sick. Certainly a problem that plagued Winnie the Pooh. Uh, but a problem that plagues all of us. We tend to find a good thing and then we just want more and more and more of it. And there are some things in our spiritual lives that I think we're conditioned to think are good things. And so more, 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 better, 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 better. Um, and we're just kind of having a little bit of fun this summer, kind of deconstructing that a little bit and looking at, well, is it possible to have too much of something that we thought was good? Today, I want to talk about humility. Is it possible? Is there such a thing as having too much humility? Now, I kind of have personally a love-hate relationship with humility. Uh, my family will tell you there have been very few moments in my life when I've been accused of being too humble. Um, I'll leave that for you to dis- discuss. But I was remembering this week when I was in college. Uh, there were a group of guys, a group of my buddies, that one year um, rented a house on campus. And they all lived in this house. Now, I had a job that required me to live in the dormitories on campus. So I did not live at this house with all of my buddies. But there were like six or seven of the other guys that all lived all in this same house. And so, of course, you know, I would hang out there and, and uh, you know, they, they were part of my circle of friends and so we would have a lot of fun together. One of the things that we did every Friday afternoon is we, would, we all had the same break in our class schedule or some of us would just ditch class. Um, high school students don't listen to that part. Um, but we would meet in one of the fields on campus and we would play a football game. And it wasn't touch football, it was full tackle football. We would, any weather, muddy, sweaty, snowy. There were, I'm not joking, a couple of games that ended when the ambulance came. I mean, it was just, it was, it was hardcore. It was hardcore, but every Friday afternoon, the group of us would get together and we would play football. I remember one particular Friday afternoon, we were gathering, we were just getting ready, and, and as we were kind of dividing up to decide what the teams were going to be on that particular day, this other group of guys that we kind of vaguely knew, they actually all lived together in another house, they happened into the same field, and they were throwing a football around as well. And they said, hey, are you guys going to play football? We said, yeah, we're going to play. They said, how about we play? You know, let's, let's bigger group, let's play together. Let's all play one game. We said, okay, that sounds good. But the numbers were such that there was one more of us than there were of them. And so they decided, well, let's do an us versus them thing. But in order to make it work out numerically, one of us is going to have to go be with them. And because I was the only guy who didn't live in the house with the other guys, guess who drew the short straw? So, okay, Dan, you're going to go play. You're going to be on the team with these other guys. 
And I was kind of disappointed about that because, you know, here for weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been tackling each other and bruising each other up. I thought it'd be fun if we could all, you know, put our skill together and show this other group of guys what's what. And, and one guy is going to get thrown overboard and it ends up being me, right? So I was not happy about that. So I went and, you know, kind of huddled up with the other guys. And as I went, I could hear my buddies. They were so excited. And man, we are going to wipe the floor with these guys. We've been playing. They were like so braggadocious about the whole thing. And man, this is awesome. We finally, you know, it was just like, you know, everybody was getting so cocky about this football game because these John come lately's had just shown up and like, oh, you fellas want to play football? <laughs> and I'm like, man, not only am I not going to be able to play with my buddies this afternoon, but I'm probably going to get my tail whooped because there's some pretty good guys in this house. So anyhow, I walk over with the other guys and okay, Dan, you know, what are we gonna do? And immediately they start talking, well, here's how we wanna cover these guys. And I'm like, oh, you actually have a plan. <laughs> you see, we usually just get together and throw the ball around and try and kill each other. You guys actually have a plan. This is kind of interesting. And so the game started and never in the very inauspicious history of Webster University football, Never was there such a lopsided game. We absolutely destroyed them. They could not move the ball. They could not run the ball. They could not throw the ball. Every play we ran went for a touchdown. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. And what made it like more than just awesome was listening to all the bragging that had happened first. How many of us loved? I mean, it's okay. We are among friends. How many of us absolutely love it when somebody really, really cocky finally gets their comeuppance? Is that the right way of using that? Do we have a Southerner in the room? Can you confirm that I just used that right? Uh, how much do we love it when somebody who's just been really, really cocky, has no humility at all, finally falls flat on their face? I mean, there's a part of us, we can call it the sinful nature if we want. Right? But no, we still kind of like it, don't we? We have a love-hate relationship with humility. It's kind of fun. It's kind of fun. That's my story about humility. Um, but then I got saved and I had to read the Bible. No, <laughs> we, we have to look at what the Bible says. And I think most of us have kind of this general idea that the Bible says followers of Jesus are supposed to be humble. And indeed, it does. Take a look at some of these verses. First Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud. I know he did that day on the football field. God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. James chapter 4, verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. When I was a little boy, we used to sing those words to a, to a song in church. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Micah chapter 6, verse 8, one of the foundational passages of Scripture for me in my life, it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To walk humbly with your God. That's what God wants. He just wants you to walk humbly with him. Humility is important. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, unless it's about football. That's in the amplified version for those of you that were checking there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others 
above yourselves. And so there you have it, you know, open and shut case, humility, you got to be humble all the time. Humility is the only way to go. Well, I happen to think that there are a lot of misunderstandings and bad interpretations, bad applications of these verses. And they lead to this idea that Christian people are supposed to go through life believing that they are weak and stupid and without any natural ability of their own. I feel like I know people who believe that. They've read the Bible and they're pretty sure that's how we're all supposed to live. We're supposed to act like other people are more valuable than we are. Isn't that what that Philippians verse says? Uh, Value other people above yourself. Okay, so everybody else matters, but I don't matter. That must be what that means, we sometimes think. When we live like that for a while, I feel like we start to feel like we don't measure up to other people's standards. And we sure don't measure up to what God wants. And so we have this kind of Christian faith and this mindset, this outlook, this worldview that says, you know what, if I'm real lucky, if I don't screw things up too, too badly, maybe just maybe God will let me in to heaven, probably through the back door and ask me to stand in the back and be real quiet and not make too much noise. And that's not a good way to live a life. That's not a good way to live out our salvation. Or maybe, maybe the truth is that we do recognize some ability, some talent in ourselves. But we read verses like this and we think that what the Bible is saying is, well, you better not let on that you're gifted. You better not let on that you're smart. You better not let on that you have a talent or people will think that you are vain and you are self-centered. Better not receive any compliments or or God will smite you for being conceited. So keep your self-esteem to yourself. That's exactly what a young man in the Bible by the name of Gideon was doing. Just trying to keep a low profile. More humble, more better. That was Gideon's motto. That's exactly what he was up to when he got a visit from an angel. I want to tell you this story about Gideon. Let me set the scene for you. Gideon lived in an era where Israel, he was an Israelite, but Israel was not a strong nation. Israel was a loose, very loose confederation of weak tribes. And they were ripe for the picking for any foreign army or bandit or invaders who wanted to roll through their land and just kind of have their way. And Gideon lived in a time when indeed the tribe that he was part of, the tribe of Manasseh and a few other tribes, were under the hostile authority of the Midianites. And the Midianite raiders would just ride through and come and take and do whatever they wanted to come and take and do. And there was really nothing that Gideon and his people had been able to do about it. Gideon was, uh, as most people were, in agriculture. And so it came time to harvest his wheat. And typically you would thresh the wheat, you know, kind of remove the kernel from the chaff. You would do that out in the open, let the breeze blow the light chaff away and do things like that. But Gideon and his neighbors had learned that that wasn't a good idea because of the Midianites riding through happened to notice that you were harvesting and threshing the grain. They'd just come take it. And so Gideon had come up with this idea that in order to avoid causing any trouble, I better just keep a low profile. So he had actually hidden all of his grain down in a, in a wine press, in a, de- a depressed area, out of sight. I'm not a farmer, I don't have an orchard, but I can't imagine that's the best way to thresh grain. But here he is down in his wine press, threshing his grain, 
just so that he can keep that low profile, just so that he can keep out of sight, just so that nobody notices him, nobody notices that he has anything of value. That's Gideon's situation. When all of a sudden a mysterious stranger appears and gives him this great greeting. Judges chapter 6 verse 14 tells this part of the story. The author refers to the stranger as the Lord. The Lord turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. I believe that Gideon's story shows us that there is, in fact, such a thing as too much humility. God wanted to do great things through Gideon. Eventually he would. But initially, Gideon's perception of himself is what got in the way. Gideon's response to the angel shows us that too much humility makes us question God's words. Too much humility is going to make us question God's words. That's exactly what Gideon did. There's too much humility in his life, and so he questioned what God had said. He said, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? And he goes on, you recall the story I just read, he goes on to list all the reasons why that's probably not going to work. Folks, we need to always be ready to hear what God has to say to us, and I think more importantly, what God has to say about us. Humility is a good quality to have, but when our sense of humility grows beyond the sweet spot, we start thinking so little of ourselves that we are unable to hear what God has to say. And you can tell that your humility has become overgrown if you ever catch yourself saying, well, how could that happen? Or if you ever catch yourself saying, no, 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 God, you could never use me that way. That's a sure sign of overgrown humility. That's essentially what happened in the lives of Abraham and Sarah much before the days of Gideon. Long before that in Israel's history, Abraham and, and Sarah, you know their story. They were well advanced in years. God had promised Abraham a son, but that promise hadn't been fulfilled. And, and now they're well beyond childbearing and childrearing years. And, and one day Abraham gets this visit, much like Gideon, from a mysterious unknown stranger that the narrator of Scripture tells us was a heavenly visit. Abram's out working and, and Sarah's back in the tent getting dinner ready and Abraham and this visitor are having this conversation and all of a sudden the visitor says, hey, next year at about this time, Sarah's gonna be pregnant. And the scripture records that Sarah could overhear the conversation from inside the tent and when she heard it, she laughed. She was like, this is ridiculous. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be pregnant. Uh. I mean, maybe not in that tone of voice, but something like that. Genesis chapter 18, verses 13 and 14, read it this way. It says, then the Lord said to Abraham, so why did Sarah just laugh? Oh, you heard that? Why did Sarah just laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And then the, the stranger asks Abraham this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, there it is. That's the antidote 
for an overgrown sense of humility. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Because the answer to that question always has to be no. If God is God, then the answer is always no. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. And we can never let our humility get in the way of what God is doing. We can find the sweet spot in our humility. We can remain humble, but we can find the sweet spot while still daring to do great things as God empowers us and as God enables us. You know what? I think good Christians have to be humble, but I think they also have to be a little bit cocky. I think we have to be willing to do great things. I think we have to be willing to take great risks. I think we have to be open to the idea that maybe, just maybe, God wants to do something dynamic and amazing in our lives and through our lives. That's one of the things I love about being part of this church. HRCC, to many of us, feels like a small church. You know, many of us have experience in, in larger churches with many hundreds of people, in some cases many of thousands of people that attend on a Sunday morning. But this church to so many people feels so much more like, well, it's just family. It's just little. And here we are on a dead end road, tucked away in a corner of a relatively inconsequential suburb west of Chicago. It would be so easy for us to think, we're just, we're just getting by. It's nice to come and hear the music and hear a good message, but it's just us. It's just little old us. Wouldn't that be easy for us to think? But I thank God that that is not the mentality of this congregation. I thank God that this congregation gets it. Gets it. And understands that, hey, we, we may be whatever size we are, our budget may be whatever it is. The resources that we have access to in the natural, in the physical, may be whatever they may be, but we serve a God who is great. And so raise up a missionary and send her to Africa? Sure, let's do that. Hey, take our budget, raise up a ton of money, and plant a church in another suburb that needs a, a Pentecostal witness to the gospel? Sure, let's do that. Support missionaries from around the world? Yeah, let's do that. Reach our community, make changes and differences in the neighborhoods we live in? Sure, let's do that. I love my church, right? Because we're not too humble for that. We're not too humble for that. Can I tell you that when I brag about you, and I do, when I brag about you to other pastors, I get that all the time, seriously? You're, you're, you're trying that? Yeah, we're trying it. And sometimes we're failing. But you know what? If you aren't failing, you aren't really trying hard enough. <laughs> right? Yeah, we're going to do great things for God because we found the sweet spot in our humility. We found the sweet spot. We know what God has called us to do. And so we're going to go do it. We're going to go do it. We're going to listen to what God has to say. Can you imagine if the little boy in Scripture had said, sure, I'd love to help feed the crowds, but I only have five loaves and two fish, so why bother trying? Can you imagine if the young teenager in Scripture had said, sure, I'd love to slay the giant, but I'm only a teenager with a slingshot, so why bother trying? Can you imagine if, if, if the young runaway had said, sure, I'd love to go back to Egypt and lead my people to freedom, but I'm just a runaway with a stutter, so why bother trying? The 
The problem with too much humility is that eventually we trick ourselves into believing that we're so small and we're so insignificant that not even God could use us. And I think that's largely because too much humility takes our focus off the Lord. It takes our focus off the Lord. Notice Gideon's response when the angel speaks to him. He doesn't talk about God. He doesn't talk about the mission. He doesn't talk about the angel. He talks about himself. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Do you pick up on the irony here? The whole point of being humble is we're, we're trying to get the focus off of us. But when we exercise too much humility, we actually end up putting the focus back on us. You know, Gideon's talking about me, 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 me. Here's all the reasons I can't. Here's all the reasons I won't. Here's all the reasons I shouldn't. And his focus is completely off of where it should be. Too much humility takes our focus off the Lord. You guys might remember the series we did a couple of months ago when we were talking about the rebuilders. And we had that kind of drawing of of the six rebuilders that Lydia had done for us and the characters that were involved in that that chunk of history. Zerubbabel was, was the governor of that crowd. And we talked about how one of the challenges that Zerubbabel had is he had this huge task, but he really didn't have the training for it. It was his by virtue of his lineage, but his people had been living in exile for more than a generation. He didn't really know what he didn't know. You know, there were a lot of reasons. And so as the rebuilding project began, there were a lot of people that would call Zerubbabel's leadership into question, say, is he really the right guy for this job? I mean, he hasn't been trained. He isn't strong. We don't know what he can do. He's unproven. They would call his leadership ability into question. Do you remember that in the middle of that picture that Lydia drew, there was the prophet Zechariah with that goofy grin on his face and his two thumbs up? Because Zechariah was the encourager of the group. Zechariah was the one who was speaking godly words of encouragement into this generation of people who, who they had to find the sweet spot in their humility because they were trying great things, right? Well, Zechariah, in his words to Zerubbabel, maybe the most quotable thing that Zechariah ever says comes from the fourth chapter of his book, Zechariah chapter four, verse six. He says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. So in this time when everybody's questioning, is Zerubbabel really the guy, Zechariah? says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. It's kind of that moment where he says, oh, I'm sorry, I thought, you, you thought this was about you? No, it's not by by might that you're going to do this. You aren't going to be the leader here because you're the strongest. You're not going to be the leader here because you're the best prepared or the most educated. You're going to be the leader here, Zerubbabel, because the Spirit of God is on you. There it is. End of story. Too much humility takes our focus off of that fact. We start talking about me and all the things about me that are inadequate and all the things about me that don't make it work. And the Lord's like, I'm sorry, we weren't talking about you. It's by my spirit that this is happening. When we hear God asking us to do great things, we need to remember that our weaknesses are very real. We are weak people. Our weaknesses are real, but ultimately irrelevant. Ultimately irrelevant. All that matters is what God is doing in his strength. Among the many great teachings of Jesus, sometimes he would toss out things to his followers that really amounted to just practical everyday advice, right? Just here's how to live a good life, your best life now, right? Jesus, one such example, they were talking about going to parties. And in those days, where you sat at a party made a great deal of difference. Kind of like what we do at wedding receptions. There's, There's a head table 
where the most important people to that moment sit. And then the family usually is at table number one and the closest friends are at table number two. And if you ever go to a wedding reception and you pick up your tag and it says table number 28, you know where you rank. You know what I'm saying? You, you, you know, you know where you are. If you're a grown up and you end up at the kids table, you know where you are, right, 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 right. It, that's kind of how every party was in that culture. And Jesus was telling his disciples one day, he's like, you know, when you guys go to a party, don't be like the other people who are trying to edge their way into table number one or the place of the most honor. He said, go, go sit at the kids' table. Go sit in the back. Go to the other end of the table. Because, and he says, just practically speaking, wouldn't you much rather have the host grab you and say, oh, I'm so sorry, I actually wanted you up here by me. Would you come sit? Wouldn't you much prefer that? than to sitting at the head table and having the host come over to you and go, oh, I'm so sorry. Actually, my good friend wanted to sit here. Would you mind go? I think there's a spot by the kitchen, right? Wouldn't you much rather have the former happen than the latter? Just good, practical advice. Jesus says that when he tells the disciples, when he gives them that advice, he then hits them with this tagline, which he used a number of places, a number of different times. But this was one of them. He says, to his followers, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. But those who humble themselves will be exalted. In other words, humility is a good thing. It is a very good thing. But don't forget that godly humility carries with it the very real likelihood that something great is about to happen. And when that something great happens, don't let your humility have grown so big that you push back on it and say, no, 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 I am staying here at the kids' table by the kitchen. No, be ready to move. When God says, hey, I'm going to exalt you, be ready for that. Don't let your humility get in the way. It's not about you. It's about the Lord and what he wants. Keep your focus on the Lord and follow his lead. When, we, when our focus shifts off of God, I think we miss out on what he's trying to accomplish. And here's another way of saying that. Too much humility robs God of glory. Gideon was focused on his shortcomings, right? My tribe is too small. I'm the weakest in the whole family. I'm the runt of the litter. Nobody gives any respect to my family. He was focused on his own shortcomings. And the Lord had a simple answer for him. The story says, the Lord answered, I will be with you. In other words, this isn't about you. I will be with you. That's how we're going to do this thing. When God does great things through you, it's an opportunity for God to get the glory. And when we allow our own humility to, to thwart the process, we're robbing God of an opportunity to be glorified. We don't want to do that. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in the, the second letter that he wrote to the Christians living in Corinth. He was writing to them about weaknesses. There were a lot of preachers traveling around in those days like Paul did, and, and they would tend to show up and blow up into town, right? And here's all my credentials, and here's all the great things that I do, and here's all the things that are awesome about me. And Paul wasn't like that. He was a more humble guy. And so the Corinthians were like, you know, Paul, we've had you out, but uh, are you really as good as these other guys? Like, are you, do, you, do you have the, the, the accolades that they have? You have the abilities that they have. Are you really as good as these other guys? And Paul's like, oh my goodness. 
So he starts telling them, you know what? I'm going to tell you, I'm not going to tell you about the great things about me. I'm going to tell you about my weaknesses. And so he writes to the Corinthians in this terribly ironic, sarcastic way. And starts saying, you want to know what's great about me? <laughs> it's how weak I am and how much I have struggled. But he says, but I'm not so humble that I'm going to allow my weaknesses to short circuit the work that God is doing through me. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine, Paul writes about one of these weaknesses. He said, I even prayed that the Lord would take it away. But the Lord said to me, my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, so you know what I'm going to do? I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. If that's where God gets the glory, then bring it on. Bring it on. Do you hear that? I will boast. Not so I will be humble and I will keep it to myself. No, he says, I'm going to boast about it. I'm going to find the sweet spot in my humility. I'm going to say, you know what? It's okay because it's not about me anyhow. It's where does God get the glory? I'm going to let the Lord work through my weaknesses. I'm going to let the Lord work through my frailty. I'm going to let the Lord work through my imperfections because that's an opportunity for him to get the glory. Church, how do we respond to compliments? When somebody just pays you a, an unexpected, nice compliment, how do we respond to that? I observe that so often we struggle in those moments, especially in church, because we're pretty sure we're supposed to just be humble. We struggle to receive compliments. And I would suggest to you that's not what the Lord wants. He doesn't want you to deflect the compliment. He doesn't wanna, want you to argue with the person who's giving you the compliment. He wants you to receive the compliment with grace and sees it as an opportunity to glorify God. And I love our worship team. I think they do a great job. I love the Jennas here giving them leadership. This morning, Hannah was our worship leader. Hannah, oh my goodness, what a beautiful voice on that girl, amen? Yeah. Right, it's awesome. And here's what you guys probably don't know about Hannah. She doesn't just show up and sing on Sunday morning. She's here during the week practicing, working hard to cultivate a gift. I see it because I'm here. I get to listen to it. You know what I get to listen to? I get to listen to Hannah make some mistakes. It happens. It's okay. But man, the Lord is working through her and the anointing on Hannah's leadership is evident to me. Doesn't mean she's perfect every moment of every day but I can see God doing something great. So when service is over and you go to Hannah and say, man, Hannah, we love when you lead us in worship. The wrong thing for Hannah to do would be to say, oh man, it was awful today. Oh, it was just terrible. I can't believe we got the wrong key. I'm worthy of it all. And then the drums came in early and I'm going to have to talk to Garrett about that. And it was just <laughs> terrible. You don't, I mean, you don't know what you're talking about. That would be the wrong thing for Hannah to say. But when you go to Hannah and say, man, Hannah, you have a beautiful voice and you have the anointing and you have a gift and you are a blessing to our church and you want the right thing, listen up, Hannah, for Hannah to say would be, it would be like, oh, thank you so much for encouraging, man. I just, God gets the glory. Thank you so much for encouraging. That's how to receive a compliment in the church. Don't let your humility get in the way of an opportunity to give glory to God. Hannah knows that she's not all that because she's all that, right? She knows that God is working through her. So give her the chance to tell you, God's working in this. God's on this. God is being glorified in our midst. That's how we need to take compliments. That's just a thought. One last, sorry, Hannah. <laughs> One last trap we want to avoid when trying to find the sweet spot in humility. And it's this, too much humility delays God's work. 
You ever hear the expression, putting out a fleece? Somebody said, well, I'm, I, you know, I'm just going to put out a fleece. I don't know if you've heard that expression. It's kind of Christian lingo. And it comes from this Gideon story. When we talk about putting out a fleece, it means, well, I'm not sure exactly what God wants me to do, so I'm going to kind of make a little test here. And I'm going to tell God, if you do A, then I'll do B. But if you do the other thing, then I won't do B. It's like, you know, I, I think maybe I have an opportunity to, to take a new job. Um, but I'm not sure if God is leading me in that direction. This is hypothetical, by the way. I'm not really saying this. Uh, I'm not sure if God is really leading me in this direction. So what I'm going to do is put out a fleece. If the HR director calls me by Friday, then I'm going to move ahead and take the job. But if I don't hear from them, I'm just going to let it go. That's putting out a fleece. If this thing happens, then I will proceed. But if it doesn't happen, I won't proceed. That expression comes from Gideon's story. I didn't read it to you today, but if you read on in, in Judges chapter 6 from where we left off, you read how Gideon's like, okay, Lord, I hear what you're asking me to do, um, but I'm just not really confident in that yet. So I'm going to, and he literally put out a fleece. He says, God, I'm going to take this sheep fleece and put it out on the lawn overnight. And if you're really, really, really doing what you say, if you're really, really saying what I think I heard you say, then tomorrow morning when I wake up, could you make the fleece wet with dew, but the ground dry? And so he does it. He puts this, this sheepskin out and he wakes up the next morning and sure enough, it's soaking wet, but the ground is dry. And you would think that would be good enough. But Gideon's like, all right, I hear you, Lord, but could we do this one more time? Because I'm not a meteorologist, I'm not a biologist, maybe that's just how fleeces work, I've never tried it before, so could we do it one more night, only this time, changes? Could we do it opposites? Could we put it out one more time, and tomorrow when I wake up, could the fleece be entirely dry, but the ground be soaking wet? And so he goes to bed one more time, and sure enough, he wakes up the next morning, and the fleece is dry, and the ground is soaking wet, and Gideon's like, all right, you got me. And he, he goes on and, and he does the thing. Putting out a fleece, that's where that expression comes from. I hear Christians say that a lot. Well, you know, I feel like the Lord is, 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 is perhaps calling me in this direction, but I'm just not sure, and so I'm going to put out a fleece. i got to tell you, I've always been intrigued by that. Because in the story, while, while God does comply, I mean, he answers what Gideon says, never does God say, good job, way to really test me. <laughs> Never does he say that. And I'm inclined to think that more often than not, when we put out a fleece, it comes from the space where Gideon was, where, yeah, I heard you, but I'm just not sure I can do it yet. And you know what happened? God's work got delayed. God's first word to Gideon was go. And Gideon said, wait. Wait till tomorrow morning. God said, all right. Tomorrow morning came and God said, go. And Gideon said, wait again. Wait till tomorrow morning. Too much humility delays God's work. If overgrown humility causes us to spend days as it did for Gideon, or weeks, or months, or could it even be years sometimes, trying to confirm that God actually meant what he said, then the only thing we're actually accomplishing is delaying his work, and that is never a good thing. 
prophet Jeremiah is famous for starting his ministry of prophecy very, very early on in his life. His book begins with him saying, man, from the time I was in my mother's womb, the Spirit of God was on me to just speak to his people on his behalf. And then very soon after that, while he's still a young man, he hears the Lord call him for the very first time. We don't know exactly how old Jeremiah was at the time, but he was young. And he hears God call him and say, hey, I need you to go speak. And Jeremiah says, here am I, Lord, not yet. <laughs> right? I'm not ready yet because I'm still a little boy. I'm not ready yet. And listen to what the Lord says to him. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 6. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, this is Jeremiah speaking. I do not know how to speak. I am too young. It's just little old me. I couldn't possibly be ready to do this thing you want me to do. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. Don't you love that? God's like, I know how old you are. (laughs) You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Don't tell me you're too young. You think I don't know your birthday? You really think I don't know your birthday? Don't tell me you're too young. Church, I think we can expand that. Don't tell me you're too old. Don't tell me you're too weak. Don't tell me you're too stupid. Don't tell me you don't know scripture well enough. Don't tell me you're too, you're not strong enough. Don't tell me, fill in the blank with whatever that thing is. Can you hear the voice of the Lord today telling you, don't tell me that anymore. You think I don't know who you are? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I wove you together in your mother's womb long before the earth knew what to call you. I held you in the palm of my hand. Don't try and tell me who you are. Go. Go in the strength. Don't let your idea of being just little and just humble and just ever so behind the scenes, don't let that get in the way of what the Lord is saying to you about your life. When God gives you direction, don't delay. Don't delay. Don't wonder if you're good enough. God's work is too important to let an overgrown sense of humility get in the way. Look, as with the other issues we talked about over the last few weeks, I don't want you to come away with the wrong impression. It's like in the last three weeks, God, or I'm sorry, Dan, talk about humility problems. (laughs) In the last three weeks, Dan has said Christians should not be joyful, uh, they shouldn't work too hard, and they definitely shouldn't be humble. No, that is not what I'm saying here. Please don't come away with the wrong idea. I am not saying that humility is a bad thing. I think it's a good thing. I think it's a godly thing. I think it's a very important thing. We should always lead. We should start from a position of humility. I just, I'm saying, I think there's a sweet spot. I think there's some things that we write off as humility that aren't really humility at all. I think it's sometimes our failure to listen to what the Lord is saying to us and about us. I think there's a sweet spot. I think there's things that we do because we think or we've been trained or we've been programmed or we've just learned over time that, oh, that's the humble way. But when we really look at it, some of those things are harmful. They're harmful to our spiritual health and they're certainly harmful to what God is trying to do as the kingdom advances. Some of them are obstacles to seeing God's work on display in our lives. Folks, there's a sweet spot. There's a place where we absolutely submit, and oh, isn't that a key word when it comes to humility, where we submit to one another in humility, and we submit to the Lord. But we can do that and still recognize the great things that he wants to do through us. Look at this. The sweet spot in humility 
is a place where I can stand and be confident knowing that my opinion doesn't really actually matter for anything. But what God says means everything. It's a place where I can stand in confidence knowing that my strength is, is without consequence. But God's strength is without limit. It's a place where I can stand in confidence knowing my abilities, my talents, the things that I'm good at, such as they are, don't actually amount to anything. They don't amount to anything. But God can do everything. And so the truth is that when your life is submitted to Jesus, you are not inconsequential. You are of great value. You are of tremendous strength. And you are of unlimited potential. Listen to how the Bible describes you when your life is submitted to Jesus. I read just quickly from Romans chapter 8, verse 37. It says, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. You probably heard that verse before. I want you to think about that. And now I want you to take that verse and put it into its historical conquest. Did you hear where I told you that verse was from? It was from Paul's letter to whom? To the Romans. To the Christians living in Rome. To the believers in Jesus Christ who are at the front doorstep to the seat of worldly empire. To the ones who had ridden through the known world and conquered. That's what Rome was, right? They were the conquerors. They were the conquerors. And Paul says to this humble, little, struggling ember of a church, oh yeah, but you're more than conquerors. Do you get it? You're more than conquerors. You see the immensity and the power and the might and the magnitude of the world and it feels overwhelming. And God says, oh, but you're more than that when your life is submitted to Christ. We see the power on display by the power mongers of the world, world the politicians, uh, the, the economic, the financiers, all of the, the, the kingdoms, the lowercase k kingdoms in our world today. And we shudder at them as well we should. Wow! And then we hear God say, yeah, but my spirit is upon you. You're more than conquerors. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us. Gideon. Can you picture him down in that pit? Threshing his grain. Getting it all jacked up with the the grape skins that were still there from when they pressed their wine. Oh man, we're going to have grape bread for a year. Like, this is terrible. Just trying to hide. Just trying to hope that nobody noticed. I mean, literally, literally low profile. That's what he was all about, Right? literally low profile. And then the, the angel of the Lord shows up. I didn't read this verse, but the greeting he gets, greetings, mighty warrior. <laughs> I love when God's sarcastic. <laughs> greetings, mighty warrior. Folks, don't be surprised if the Lord shows up in your life and says to you, greetings, mighty warrior. Greetings, conqueror. Greetings, man or woman of God. In you and through you, my power is going to be on display and you are going to do great things. Don't be surprised if you hear that. And when you hear that, stand at attention. When you hear that, listen to the call. When you hear that, respond 
to the leading of the Lord and move forward in the confidence that God has given you all the strength, all the talent, all the wisdom, and all the resource you are ever going to need to accomplish his will. Can I ask you to stand up? Greetings, mighty warriors. <laughs> Greetings, mighty warriors. I love my church. And it's not just because I got warm fuzzies and I think you guys are cuter than the others. That's true. <laughs> but you know why I love my church? Because I see mighty warriors. I would go to battle with this group any day of the week. I believe it's what God has called us to do together. And I see mighty warriors. I see mighty warriors. I want to ask you to begin to pray today because I wonder if God will reveal to you some things about you today. I wonder if maybe the call of God on your life is something that you've kind of been wrestling with. I wonder if you would say, well, maybe I've been paying too much attention to the fleeces and not just believe in God for what he said. I wonder if God is asking you to do great things and they feel bigger to you than you are or that you are ready for right now. I wonder if that's you today. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes and begin to pray. I want to pray his blessing over you. I want to pray that as I pray today, Lord, as my words are heard audibly in this room, that our hearts and our spirits would respond to your greeting. I pray, Lord, that you would call forth mighty warriors in this room. We believe, we said it this morning, that there is power in the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, we are called by that name today. We are Christians. And so there is a power in who you have created us to be. There is a power in who you have called us to be. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us this community in which we can and do and will submit one to another in humility. Not a single one of us has it all together. Not a single one of us has the market cornered on wisdom, strength, power, or ability. Lord, we submit one to another as we submit to you, but we do not let that get in the way of what you are calling us to do. And so, Father, with our words today, we affirm that you are releasing your spirit over this people. And you are raising up a new generation of believers, a new iteration of the church, a new day in this land. And so I pray, Lord, that from this group assembled here today, Father, that you would speak your word through prophets. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would accomplish your healing work through healing hands as they are laid upon each other. I pray, Lord, that you would do your restorative work. I pray that you would raise up individuals and groups and clusters of people so empowered and filled with the Holy Spirit of God that nothing would be impossible. And God, I ask that you would help us to see it today. I ask that you would help us to see it now. Lord, I pray for those in our midst today that would say, I identify with this Gideon. I know what it's like to hide and think, surely not me, Lord. Surely not I. Surely I'm not the one who can do the things. But Lord, who are we to put a restriction on what you have said and what you can do? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Is anything too difficult for you today? Is anything too difficult? So Father, in humility, help us to get out of your way. Help us to receive what you are saying, to trust and to believe and to know, and then, Lord, to move. 
I pray that this anointing would be on each one. As you bless us, as you strengthen us, as you build us, and as you empower us for the purposes you have prepared for us. We pray today in the strong and mighty name by which we are called. It's the name of Jesus. Would everybody say together. Amen. 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 Blessings to you. Have a great week.